Everyone has an interesting story to tell, and I want to share them with the world. I am your host, Mr. Minigolf, and this is my show, Par for the Course. Thank you for tuning into the very first episode of Par for the Course. I am Mr. Minigolf, and I am a professional mini-golfer that travels all over the world to play. I went from working in the corporate world at a Fortune 500 company to doing mini-golf-related endeavors full-time for a living. I founded two mini-golf companies, minigolfreviews.com and Jackpot LLC, to make this a reality. One of my newest projects is this podcast, Par for the Course, where I talk with people and businesses to share their unique stories and give them a platform to be heard. In addition to all that, I was a contestant on season two of ABC's Holy Moly, a game show that combines mini golf with a crazy stunts course, similar to the hit show Wipeout. I'll be interviewing a ton of guests from both seasons one and two after the finale of this year to hear their thoughts and stories on being a part of the show. Today's show is sponsored by Night Sports USA, the creators of the best night golf products on the market, with their crowning achievement, the Night Sports Seven Color Spectrum Light Activated Golf Balls. These golf balls change the game just as much as they can change color. Entirely. You can play later in the evening than you normally could, and with an added twist of fun as well. The golf balls not only light up, but you can also easily change the color with just a quick flash of light. If you are not using Night Sports USA for your night golfing and mini golfing needs, you are just doing it wrong. Head over to nightsportsusa.com, tell them Mr. Mini Golf sent you, and save today. Now on to the show. Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to Par for the Course uh, Business Podcast. Today, my guest is John Racine. Uh, please introduce yourself, John, and uh, where you're from. Hey, Carl. Thanks so much for having me on. It's John Racine. I currently live in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, but I am originally from tiny Rhode Island called Central Falls. It was one square mile. Wow. I lived there until I was in the sixth grade. And then uh, after sixth grade, where'd you move to? So we moved to the next town over, a little town called Pawtucket. Pawtucket's big claim to fame is the Pawtucket Red Sox, which was the AAA farm team for the Boston Red Sox. So from my house, I could see the stadium. And uh, in Rhode Island, where I grew up, 4th of July was celebrated on the 3rd of July. So the fireworks were done at McCoy Stadium, which I could see from my house. So the cookouts were always at my house. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. And then, uh, and then uh, how'd you get to where you are today? I want to, I basically want to hear your story. Um, I want you to share uh, any uh, businesses or organizations that you've been involved with or, or founded or anything along those lines. I want this uh, to be all about you and, and let people know who John is and, you know, get your positive message out there. I know uh, we had met through uh, doing a podcast episode on your podcast so that's how we got connected, and you were a very big inspiration for me to get my podcast started, so I appreciate that very much, but I, I want to hear more about your story, because on, on your show, we talk mostly about me and my mini golf endeavors, <laughs> so it's all about you today. Uh, well, I'm, I'm flattered that I was the inspiration for your podcast, so I'm really excited for you as you you begin this journey. So yeah, I grew up in Rhode Island. So it, for me, I think it really started when I was younger, uh, growing up in Rhode Island. And Rhode Island is a state that has four distinct seasons. 
and winter was the season I hated the most. And I remember at age 10, my mom took me to Orlando, Florida to go to the happiest place on earth, Walt Disney World. And it was in the October, November timeframe. And yes, I love Disney. I'm a Disney fan today. There's no doubt in anybody's mind how much I love Disney. But what struck me was we were there late autumn, beginning of winter timeframe, and I was wearing shorts. I was wearing t-shirts. I was swimming in a pool. I was having fun and the weather was absolutely gorgeous. So I decided at age 10 that I wanted to work at Walt Disney World. So that little seed was planted. And it was a couple of years later, I was actually in the Boy Scouts where uh, I'm a type one diet. So food is very important for me. I have to eat a regular schedule, take my insulin and all that. While we were out camping, everybody went out doing whatever. And it was getting close to dinner time. Like, guys, I got to eat. I have this medical condition. So nobody wanted to cook. I'm like, fine, I will cook. Didn't really know a whole lot. I'd only done it by my mom's hip. And actually cooked dinner and everybody loved it and found that I had this quasi-talent of cooking. So I started learning more about cooking, buying cookbooks, practicing, things like that, and decided that ultimately maybe I wanted to be a chef. And I'm like, hey, wait a minute. Disney World has chefs. Let me go down this rabbit hole and see if Disney recruits chefs. So I started doing that rabbit hole searching. And lo and behold, one of the places that Disney recruited from at the college level was right in my backyard, Johnson and Wales University. So I said, well, let me, let me look into Johnson and Wales. So I applied to Johnson and Wales. I was accepted. I went and got my culinary degree. And then I got my food service management degree. And then magic happened. I graduated and I got my dream job at Walt Disney World. I was so excited. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. So I moved down to Orlando, Florida and started working at Walt Disney World. And I hadn't really considered the prospect of being a chef or a restaurant manager. And I don't know why, because I had spent years being a busboy and a cook in a kitchen and all of that, but I always had school. So school was full-time, work was part-time. I got out and I absolutely loved Disney. I really did. I still love the company to this day, but my life was not what I was expecting it to be. It was a lot of those late, late nights. Um, Disney is a union environment, though the managers were not in a union. They followed the seniority and the managers. So that meant I was always doing the closing shifts. I was always doing the holiday shifts. I was always doing the things because I was low man on the totem pole. And, and life kind of smacked me upside the head. And I said, you know, maybe I, maybe I don't want to be a restaurant manager or even a restaurant owner, which was a dream as a child. So I kind of wandered around through jobs after that. I worked for, uh, I did work for another restaurant. I worked for Houlihan's restaurant in Jacksonville, Florida. Then I worked for Enterprise Rent-A-Car for a little while. Then I uh, moved to back to Orlando from Jacksonville and went to work for the Boy Scouts of America. So that was like, yeah, I mean, I'm an Eagle Scout and grew up in the program. Let me go work for the Boy Scouts. And did that for a couple of years. And then eventually I got into a rent-to-own company. I was a store manager, a trainee originally. And throughout my entire career up until that point, I had always been involved in training in some form. Uh, I was a teaching assistant in college and then a fellow my senior year. And I was recruiting and training in the restaurants at Disney. I was in charge of training. Eventually, I was so successful opening new stores in that rent-to-own company that they turned my location into a training store. So everybody that was newly hired within the district would come and train with me. 
They would spend one to two weeks with me, then they would go out to their locations. And it ended up being a very successful model. It ultimately led to me becoming a full-time corporate trainer for that company, which I did for about four years. And then I made the decision, looking back, I don't know why, but I made the decision to pack up and move to California. So I, I know why I was moving out there. My mom had moved out there and uh, I had visited California before. It was absolutely beautiful. I'm like, oh, let me go check out California and make a life out there and uh, really kind of honed my human resources chops at that point, honestly. Um, got out of full-time training, got into full-time human resources. And I worked in a number of hotels out there over a number of years. But that whole time, I had always had this entrepreneurial drive. I had wanted to own a restaurant when I was younger, which is why I went to Johnson & Wales. Mm -hmm. And I decided I really don't own a restaurant anymore. It was a lot of work, very slim margins. Uh, At that point in time, when I was first in school for it, a profit margin of 10 or 12 cent was good. And, you know, if you consider a restaurant was doing a million dollars in sales, $100,000 of profit, for a year, eh, maybe not so great. So I decided to move away from that and I did a lot of different things. I got into the network marketing, I tried selling long distance, um, I became an internet marketer and was creating online courses. I uh, was a local business marketer doing Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter ads for businesses. And that all evolved into where I'm at now, which is now back in Florida. And I've got my own coaching company. I help people to blast through the challenges that they have in their lives, whether it's things like uh, weight loss or stress or whatever the challenges might be. And I just help people to blast through those things through different systems and things that I've got set up. And along the way, I've learned how to present and speak and sell on stage. And I've got my own podcast, the Total Freedom Podcast that I've launched as a way to get the message out. I've taken a very spiritual journey in the last year or so. And one of my spiritual coaches said 2020 was the year of selfless service. And she started saying that the end of 2019, pre-coronavirus and COVID-19 and all of that. So looking back, it's like, okay, she knew exactly what she was talking about. And I thought the podcast for me would be a great way to be of service. So I brought you on and you shared your passion and love for for being a mini golfer and and how you transitioned out. And I've brought on a number of other people that come in to talk about how their lives have been impacted by their discoveries, by their joys, and by their gifts. So that's kind of the long version of how I got to where I am. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's great. I mean, it's just, it's, it's always so interesting for me to hear people's stories and, and how they get there. And, you know, finding a passion for something, I think, is the main inspiration on where you end up. I mean, you, you knew you were going to end up at Disney. You figured that out very early on. And once you got there, I'm sure you enjoyed a lot of aspects of it, but you you found that there you had a, a, a hunger for something else, something more. You you just didn't want to be there stuck in one place for your whole life. But the great thing about it is I'm sure that um, you know, you you still have great connections with Disney, um, a lot of opportunities still there. Um, talking with people too. I'm sure there's plenty of great people that you could interview on your show from Disney, which would be awesome to hear about. Just like, like, again, hearing like, how do people like get to Disney? Cause I always thought is like when I was a kid, um, you know, I'd been to Disney a couple times. Uh, we went to Disney um, in high school for uh, music performance for band. And it was like, man, I wonder how do people get to become like an Imagineer or uh, you know, 
a chef at one of these restaurants or um, how does that person that even just works the ticket sales, how did they get to that point? Because I mean, it's, it's, it is a pretty competitive, you know, place to work. So um, it, it's really cool to kind of hearing all about that. And then not only that, just like uh, you, you did that and you, and you liked it, but you wanted you wanted something more. And, and, and I, do you think right now where you're at is like where you were, destined to be or do you think there's still even more that uh you'll be experimenting and exploring that's a really interesting question because i i don't know if i'm ever where i dreamed i would be or where i should be um because i think it's a constant process life is is a a journey and not a destination so what i have predicted i'm where i'm at right now when i said way back when i want to go work at walt disney world absolutely not is this the end? Will this be what I do for the rest of my life? I don't think so. I think it's going to play an incredibly large part. And I want to go into a little bit of business philosophy that I learned uh, from a lady named Laura Langmeyer. So Laura Langmeyer is known as the millionaire maker. She used to be one of the key trainers for Robert Kiyosaki, rich dad, poor dad. And she teaches in her model that you do something to pay the bills. Whatever that something is, if it's a W-2 job, if it's a side hustle, whatever it is. And then you take the money that you make from that side hustle and you take it invested into recurring assets, something that's going to pay you on a regular basis. So I kind of see what I'm doing right now, the coaching, as being that vehicle to generate the revenue for me to be able to get into those passive assets. At one period of time, I did own a little over a million dollars in rental real estate in Orlando. When I lived there, I had a couple of duplexes and some single family homes, and I absolutely loved it. The way I did it, I would probably never do it again. I was the landlord, the handyman, the bill collector, the landscaper. I was everything, and I didn't know what I didn't know back then, but I've learned so much more, talking 15, 20 years ago now, that I was doing that. So I can easily see myself continuing on this coaching path, helping people to achieve their greatness. I absolutely see that as a very large part of it, but I do see myself getting into more real estate investments, uh, oils, and, and maybe eventually becoming like a shark to invest in smaller businesses that maybe need it. So I, I, I can definitely see myself continuing on that path. And uh, with that, is there something that you're you're still very passionate about or things that um, cause like for me, like the mini golf, I mean, people see that more as a hobby and like, as everybody has said, every person I've ever met that when I say I'm a professional mini golfer, they say, Oh, I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> Is there something along the lines where, um, you're super passionate about that, um, maybe isn't generally seen as a business or a way to generate income? Is that something that you would be considering investing into for yourself, like taking it even a step further, like whether what, what, whatever that may be, whether, you know, you still love to cook, um, maybe turning that into something that isn't, you know, a full-time business or anything like that, but maybe something that still inspires you and to share that gift. Cause I know cooking is certainly a gift. I mean, I've had plenty of bad cooks cook for me and plenty of great cooks <laughs> cook for me. So I understand that. And it, and if you're a great, if, if you're a great cook, you got to continue with that because people need to eat your food. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think I don't have a non-mainstream passion that I would monetize. I think my passions are all mainstream. Yeah, I do love cooking. Absolutely. I love Disney. 
um, beyond a doubt. And matter of fact, I, I actually, I own a number of domains, websites. Uh, not all of them have been built out. And I actually bought a couple of Walt Disney World or Disney company themed websites. I I absolutely love Disney. I follow a number of Disney blogs and podcasts, and I see the the things that they're doing. So I do maybe kind of see myself putting one of these Disney websites that I've created. Like one of the ones I bought was Welcome to Walt's World. I wanted to be very conscious of trademarks. So I didn't want to do Disney or anything like that. Although I see a lot of websites out there like that. Nothing is to stop the Disney company from coming back and saying, hey, that's our copyright. That's our trademark. Give it to us. So I tried to be very generic. So Welcome to Walt's World was one of the websites that I bought. I could maybe see later on um, as things start to ramp up where I can really go into that passion project to build out a blog and a YouTube channel and social media on that. One of the, the things that I follow is the Disney food blog. Uh, it's a lady named AJ who's on a lot of the videos and she'll go in and she just goes into all the Disney restaurants and writes about the meals and, and she's posting content constantly. There's pictures out there constantly and I could easily see myself doing something like that. Would it generate tens of thousands of dollars? It could, I imagine. Would it generate millions of dollars? It could, I imagine. Do I realistically believe it would generate that kind of stuff? No, but I think that that would be kind of fun for me. But as I've been on this journey as an adult, I've learned that I have passions that I didn't know I had. I'm an extroverted introvert. I generally like to kind of keep to myself. Part of my HR job, I've learned Myers-Briggs, so I know my Myers-Briggs type, and I'm actually currently going through DISC certification because I just wanted to have that so I can understand the personality styles. So I very much draw my energy from being alone and with my thoughts as opposed to being around people. But I am incredibly effective when I get in front of a group of people because that's the extroverted introvert coming out of me. I flew from Los Angeles when I lived in California to Dubai, and I spoke on stage in Dubai to strangers that I had never met before. And then I flew from Dubai to Bahrain, which is a small conservative um, country in the Gulf, and I was speaking to the crown prince of Bahrain. Didn't phase me in the least. It absolutely did not phase me in the least, one-on-one different story. So I can easily see myself being in front of large groups of people. Maybe it's one of those Disney sites where I get on video and talk about Disney and walk through the parks and put that content out there and maybe get some branding deals and all of that. Or maybe I continue on this coaching path that I'm on and I, I would love to do live events. I, I think live events will come back. You know, we're still mm-hmm. coronavirus right now, right, but right. live events will come back. So I could see myself leading large groups in, in a live uh, conference type of setup to help people shatter the the things that are limiting them, whether it's a, you know, a subconscious belief or a money consciousness belief or whatever it might be. So I see so many different paths in front of me. For me, I have to keep myself focused on which one, but I think the true passion project for me to ultimately answer the question you asked would probably be one of those Disney websites where I would get paid essentially to go to the parks every day. Yeah, I, that sounds like a great dream, I think, for anybody. But, I mean, yeah, I, I, I was really, uh, I really like the idea of like the the food at the park. So like, I understand, you know, a lot of the food that they make is directly influenced by, you know, something that you see in the movie. Like I know the one that comes to mind for me is like the gray stuff from Beauty and the Beast. And like, um, which is part of the song Be Our Guest. 
and then you know they uh, Lumiere says try the gray stuff it's delicious it's delicious so, yeah. and then and then Disney came up with basically I think it's like a frosting dish with some like sprinkles and stuff uh, that's kind of like a, a a bonus or I think for a while it might have been like a secret menu item and then now I think it's a bit okay. more mainstream as like people share that but um, do you think that would be something that you would take as like an undertaking like would you design a um, Disney themed cookbook like your own versions of those recipes perhaps like you know every movie that you see whether you know uh, Snow White obviously has a huge influence with apples so maybe you're making your own poison apple Snow White pie or something like that where it, it, it's so delicious you might just die or something like that right um or or something along those lines is that is that an idea too like you could definitely use you know that what i yeah i haven't thought of it but that that idea is actually brilliant and and i've published a couple of books also okay. um in the business space so i could definitely see myself doing a cookbook i mean i hadn't even considered it but that yeah, I could easily see myself doing that. And, and you know, one of the, the great things with me living fairly close to Disney, I'm in Fort Lauderdale and, and mm -hmm. it's just three hours up to, to Orlando. And I will ultimately get back to Orlando in the hopefully not too distant future when, when all the stars align. Um, I love the festivals that they do there and all the festivals bring out different food. So, yeah, I think that would be kind of cool to actually do that. That's actually a brilliant idea. So, yeah, I could definitely see myself publishing a cookbook, maybe based on the movies because there's, you know, there's eating in every movie. You got the spaghetti and meatballs from Lady and the Tramp and yeah. obviously the gray stuff. And uh, yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah. And then obviously, since you, you know, you worked at Disney as a cook, I'm sure that there's still some way you can have connections with other cooks there. Um, so not only is it uh, great that you can talk in, or, you know, create this cookbook, but you can talk with those cooks, chefs, staff, whatever to, you know, like get their inspirations behind things too. So like, you know, maybe there's, you're talking to the person that created the grace stuff and how they got inspired by that. And then you can take your own take on it for your cookbook, but then you have this like, you know, article that talks about, Oh, I actually talked to the person that created the one that you see today. This was their inspiration. This is my take on it, my inspiration from that. I mean, I think that would be a lot of fun and definitely something that I'd want to get. Um, I just remember as a kid, I was a, a very big fan of Roald Dahl, who created like the BFG and James and the Giant Peach and Willy yeah. Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, right? So um, yeah. there was, I think it was maybe, it, yeah, it was near the end of his life. So I think it was... He created one before he had passed, but then uh, his family created a second one. But he actually has uh, two cookbooks based on the dishes that he had in his book. So, you know, the um, Everlasting Gobstoppers and um, Schnozcumbers from the BFG and um, Mr. Twit's Beard Food was like a mashed potato thing and the, the Bruce Bogtrotter cake from Matilda. So it was really cool to see that because like, when you, when you read like those types of books, which is to me is like this, just the same as Disney. He, it was, you know, j like just had that same level of like imagination, creativity as Walt Disney did. And, you know, seeing where they take that and turn that into real life that you can relate to is really cool. So, I mean, I could totally see something similar that you could create. I think it would be really cool. Um, I definitely would buy that book for sure. Cause I'd want to create it myself. <laughs> Um, and you know, I think there's a lot of cool things that you can do and also with your, um, your leadership and, um, like 
inspiring people to, you know, push past their boundaries. I think um, having, like I said, I didn't know how to ever get to that journey to become a like Disney staff member, right? That, that would be something I think would be pretty cool if you could help train people to, to see that that's a, a, a way to get into Disney too. Because again, I didn't even know really how to do that. I mean, now it might be a little bit easier with like LinkedIn and finding connections, but I mean, there's still some, there's still that magic something that you have to, to have and want in order to get in there. They don't just hire anybody. They want people that, you know, love Disney, have that uh, um, inspiration, creativity, and are just generally like, ecstatic to be there so i mean that would be pretty cool too i think that you can connect with like those disney uh domains that you have and and create something along those lines too it doesn't have to be like a full-on course or anything but any just like tips would be great i think for people that are you know inspired by that what do you think of that I, I, that's really kind of cool too. I, I like that a lot. You know, I've gone so far as I've, I've plotted out my coaching and consulting mm-hmm. business. And I talked about, I want to do live events and I've decided that I'm exclusively holding them at Disney properties. Awesome. So, okay. yeah. So whether it's Disney world here in Florida, whether it's Disneyland in California. Yeah. I've absolutely decided that that's what I want to do. I've looked into the, uh, the group meeting stuff over there. So yeah, that would actually get me a lot of access us to be able to connect these people to help with that info so yeah that's that's you've got some good ideas there i like them well thank you i appreciate it well obviously inspired by what you had to say um (laughs) um uh we had also talked on your podcast that i'm also an eagle scout so we had that connection there as well and and involved with scouting um maybe that's something we can talk about too what what are your thoughts currently on on scouting and maybe direction that you think uh that's going and maybe some um ideas helping with that organization today yeah they're they're struggling right now truthfully um it's not cool to be a boy scout anymore although i don't know when the time was it was cool to be a boy scout because it really wasn't cool even when i was in the boy scouts but i didn't care um i absolutely loved it Uh, you know going out camping hiking um growing up in rhode island we used to do bike trips we would do bike uh, stuff and we would ride our bikes to a uh, a port and get on the boat and go over to this little island called block island which is little island off the coast of rhode island and we'd go camping out there uh rustic camping you know not bringing in a whole lot of stuff and i, and I absolutely loved it you know one of the things it was kind of cool because uh, i worked for the boy scouts in orlando and uh, the person that runs a local council. So the council is the small geographic region for people that don't know. So my region was uh, from Daytona Beach down to Kissimmee, which is partly where Disney World is, and then out to the east, out to the Kennedy Space Center. And then we went to the west part of Florida, almost to the west coast of Florida, but not quite. So we went up into... um, I can't even think of the county, but that's where our scout reservation was. So we had a pretty wide swath. So our scout executive, which would be a CEO, he's eventually went on to be the chief scout executive based out of Dallas. Uh, his name was Wayne Brock, C. Wayne Brock. So it was kind of cool. And Wayne, I always thought was a visionary. He always had thoughts and ideas about the Boy Scouts. I don't think he got a lot of them implemented before he retired as the chief scout executive. But I have seen lately where they're taking on uh, young ladies now, girls, Mm -hmm. into the scouting program, which obviously the Clara Barton Girl Scouts are not very happy about. I can almost see a day where the two organizations merge. 
I don't know that that would happen, but I can almost see it. And I think the Boy Scouts actually started that when they came out with the career around for years. So when I worked for the Boy Scouts, Sorry, I got stuff on my screen here that says that my microphone was switching. Oh, that's all right. Oh, uh, yeah, just so, go back and repeat what you're saying with um, the Girl Scouts and the Boy Scouts and the merger there. Yeah. Yep. So I, I can see a time where the Boy Scouts and the Girl Scouts may merge. Do I think it would happen? I don't know, but I can kind of see it. You know, the Boy Scouts first started allowing girls into the scouting program through the career exploring program called the Explorers. And I remember when I worked for them, I would go into the high schools and we would recruit the young ladies in high school to go into the career exploring program. And we had some killer programs that they wanted to get involved with. We had law enforcement, firefighters, we had um, veterinarians, we had med techs, we had all different types of career exploring programs. We even had a scuba exploring program. So a lot of the, the, the young ladies in high school wanted to go and join and participate. And they were official members of the Boy Scouts of America through the career exploring program. So I think the Boy Scouts might have been a little bit ahead of the curve. I don't know a whole lot about the Girl Scouts. I don't have any sisters or daughters that, have, that were in the program. So I don't know a whole lot about it. But I think the Boy Scouts have been more open to expanding the gender guides than maybe the Girl Scouts have. And that's not to speak down on the Girl Scouts in any way for that, not at all. They have a core belief and, and vision values and, and mission and all of that. But I think as the world is evolving, as it becomes less attractive to be in the scouting program, I think that might be where they go. Now, having said all of that, I think we're actually gonna see, I think they might get a little bit of a spike in participation after all of the, the quarantine in place and, sure. and the stay-at-home orders relieve themselves because it's going to be something new, exciting to get out of the house, to get out and do different things. So I think they might see a spike. I don't know if it'll be sustained. And I'm really kind of reading tea leaves for where I think they're going. Yeah, I mean, I agree completely with that because um, my grandpa was involved with scouting for pretty much his whole life. Uh, got a 50 years in scouting award. And uh, he actually was a recipient of the silver beaver award in scouting, which is the, the highest honor uh, that you can get. Um, and, you know, before he had passed, he, he had told me that um, he thinks there's going to be a significant change within five years uh, in the scouting organization. And pretty much to the date, he was right on when they, you know, they allowed the, um, women into the Boy Scouts of America become the Scouts of America. And I mean, he was right on with that. So um, I, I think it's great because I think both sides, both genders provide um, different skill sets, whether if they were a Girl Scout prior and moving over to the Scouts or, or, or whether just the, the girls coming in learn a new skill, skill set from the boys or vice versa. I think it's, it's great because I, for me, scouting was a big, um, influence on, you know, where I am today and the type of person I am, you know, being a genuine and good person and helping people, you know, wherever I can. And I think that's just good values to teach, uh, anybody. Um, I do agree, you know, it, it is, it does have that connotation that scouting is uncool, but I think being able to be independent and have that skill set and, and provide for yourself, whether it's cool or not is, is crucial to, you know, to being a successful person, whether you want to be financially successful or um, you have a goal to have a nice house or a nice car or, or just to have a family or whatever your goals are. I think, you know, it just, 
helps build up that opportunity for you to go for your goals. And um, I, th I think if, if, you, if, you, if you're not involved in an organization like scouting or anything along those lines, I think it's really hard to set a vision for yourself other than something maybe so like just right in front of your face type of thing. Yeah, I agree. You know, if you look back over the history of the Boy Scouts, there have been some very influential leaders in business, in politics that have come out of the scouting program. When you look at like a Gerald Ford and you look at, um, you know, all of these these uh, business leaders who are who were in the scouting program, not even necessarily having being an Eagle Scout. Right. They obviously took the experience from being in the scouting program and grew it into something massive. At the time I worked at Walt Disney World, the chairman of Disney Parks, which was kind of that step above like the president of Walt Disney World, his name was Judson Green. And Judson Green was an Eagle Scout. Well, not was, because you always are. Judson Green is an Eagle Scout. And we had a great relationship with him because he is an Eagle Scout and, and opened up a lot of doors for us as the Central Florida Council to be involved in Disney and the things they had going on. So, yeah, I think it's foundational type stuff. I mean, if you look at the merit badges that you earn and the skills that you, I mean, cooking and backpacking and, and all of those things right now are incredibly appropriate because we're using all of those things. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. Um, just a couple more questions for you here, John, and then I'll let you go. Um, wanted to just connect my mini golf passion here with you for a second. So uh, have you ever been miniature golfing is my first question. And then, um, yep, yep. So, and then yep. I want to know, uh, um, what's your favorite course if you have one and if there's a favorite hole design that you've ever played? Yep. So I have definitely played mini golf. I've played it more times than I can count. I absolutely love it. It's a lot of fun. It's something different to do. Um, in my mind, and this is not a reflection of you, you don't need a whole lot of skill to play mini golf. Right, and I'm, right. I'm not at all to say you don't have the skill because you obviously do your pro. Uh, but for me, I've played regular golf and I have a horrible driving game. I cannot drive the ball, but I can putt. So that's why I love mini golf. So I've done it a lot. My favorite course, unshockingly, would probably be one of the Disney courses, the Winter Summerland Miniature Golf Course that's here in Orlando or Lake Buena Vista. Um, it's just a really cool, uh, it looks like you're golf, mini golfing on snow. Uh, it's really kind of cool. When I think about designs that I like with uh, mini golf, I like the ones, I'm a huge roller coaster fan. Mm -hmm. I love roller coasters. So any hole where I have to hit the ball so hard it goes through a loop. Okay. I love those kind of holes. Awesome. Yeah, the the loop-de-loop -loop is definitely an iconic uh, hole design for miniature golf, along with the windmill, obviously, and, uh, and yep, yep. basically the lighthouse. Um, for roller coasters, I'm going to say I'm going to say I want you to uh if you ever get the chance to head up to uh Lincolnshire, Illinois uh, and check out Parking Skill Golf. They actually have one where you hit it into an elevator and it goes up to the top of a roller coaster and goes through the roller coaster. Oh, uh, that's awesome. So that's, I will I would definitely put that one on my list. Yeah, I I'll share I'll share some pictures with you later on social media and give you a chance to check that out too, but definitely think you uh you would love that one. Um, and then um, one other last question here, and then we'll let you uh, pr uh, do some plugs there for your stuff and then um, remind people to check out everything that you've got going on. But um, having worked at Disney, I'm always curious to hear about any cool behind the scenes secrets or um, 
things that you saw or experienced that maybe the uh, the average person might not get to do, uh, get to experience, or something that people could experience that maybe not a lot of people know about. If you if you have any that you're willing or allowed to share, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. I can definitely share. There's not a whole lot of secrets from Disney, I think, and it's it's an open secret. Um, but in the Magic Kingdom, so here in Orlando, there's four parks. You've got the Magic Kingdom, you've got Epcot, you've got Disney Studios and you've got Animal Kingdom. I, I want to back up the story a little bit to, to go way back. So when Walt opened Disneyland in California in 1955, he one day was walking through the park and saw somebody from, I want to say it was Futureland, walking through the area where you would now see the uh, the mine train, right? Mm-hmm. The, not the Seven Dwarfs mine train, the, uh, that's Disney World, um, uh, Thunder Mountain Railroad. Yeah. And the theming was completely broken. So he had to change the way things were done at Disneyland to have people go around the backsides to come into their themed areas. When they built Disney World, they actually built Disney World, the Magic Kingdom Park, on the second floor. So the ground floor level is known as the Utilidor. And the Utilidor is an underground tunnel that and the cast members, which are what they call employees, the cast members come into, there's a costuming or a wardrobe department where they get their costumes and then they walk through these utilidors to come up into their area so they never break character or break theming to go through. And it's really cool. I mean, the big armored truck comes in because there's a cash room right there near the Magic Kingdom's castle where all of the money goes at the end of an, a cast member shift. So the armored truck can actually drive through the utilidor Whoa. to get to, the, to the, the vault so that they can drop off change, pick up the deposits and all of that. So we're talking a very wide concrete um, vehicles can drive through it type of setup. And the utilidors are available. You can can actually do one of the behind the scenes tours. And I don't remember what it's called, but you can actually do one of those behind the scenes tours to be able to go down into the Utilidors, which is pretty cool. Also, what you can see in the Utilidors, if you notice at Disney World, there's trash cans about every six to eight feet. It was Walt's vision that there was no trash on the ground, so a lot of trash cans. But with a lot of trash cans, means there's a lot of trash to dump. So they actually have these trash vacuum cleaners. So they'll take all of those trash bags, put them into those large carts, and wheel them to a designated area in the park, and there's multiple, and they dump the trash bags in, and it's like a vacuum cleaner. It pulls it all the way through the park to behind the park into a waste recycling center that's behind the park. That's crazy. I mean, it's a big place. So that would be a lot of trash that they're probably getting through every day. It is tons and tons of trash every single day. And if you think there's tens of thousands of people rolling through the parks on a normal non-COVID shutdown day, you know, there's tens of thousands of people in the park. I think they're probably averaging between 70 and 80,000 people in the Magic Kingdom alone per day. So that's a lot of cups and napkins and all of that trash that has to get disposed of. So it's it's some very unique stuff that you see and Disney is itself its own city. It has its own water treatment plant. It has its own sewers. It has its own telephone company. It actually has residents that live in Lake Buena Vista. They're actual residents. It's an unincorporated area of Florida that was, that was granted by state legislature back in the uh, late sixties when Disney world was first being built. So it was one of the things that Disney won when they made Orlando, the pro what they called the Florida project back then. Wow. That's, I, you have so much knowledge about Disney secrets behind the scenes stuff, man. I, you should write a book just about that alone too. <laughs> um, we're nearing end of our time. I definitely want to bring you back for some more talking. Um, 
for next time. I think I'd love to hear some more secrets and, and, and pick your brain some more too, but um, we'll give uh, uh, people a chance to listen to some other episodes and all that, but uh, uh, we'll get you, uh, John uh, a profile page uh, in the par for the course guest directory. So you can see all the stuff, the projects and stuff that he's working on, connect with him on social media and all of that. But um, for now, uh, John, is there a place that people should connect with you and find out more about you? Yeah, I got a couple of places. First is the podcast, obviously, Total Freedom Podcast. It's in Stitcher. It's on iTunes. My website is totalfreedompodcast.com. So you can definitely go and check that out. We'd definitely love to have the listeners come over and hear about how they can make some changes in their life, make things better. I also have my own personal website, which is johnracine.com, J-O-H-N-R-A-C-I-N-E.com. And what I'd like to do for your listeners is I'm going to create a special link on that page, which is a brief video about my resolve system. And it's a seven step, very simple system to overcome virtually any challenge in business life, whatever it might be. So that'll be at johnracine.com forward slash par P A R for your listeners. And then I'm all over social media. It's John Racine Jr. J R on Instagram, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, and on Twitter. If I remember correctly, they're all linked onto that. So those will be the best places to reach out and connect. Let me know you heard me on the podcast here. I'd love to connect with you and check out what you've got going on. I appreciate it, John. Uh, hope people enjoy listening to our episode and connect with you and, and learn a lot more about you and uh, hopefully see you on a couple other podcasts as well that people listening and can enjoy as well. So I thank you, John, for joining me on my show today. Appreciate it. Uh, it's, been, it's my pleasure and I would love to come back and share more whenever you want me to come back. Let me know. Awesome. I appreciate it. Thanks, John. Thank you. And that's all the time we have for today. Don't forget to check out the guest profiles for each of our guests uploaded on Fridays on the Par for the Course Business Podcast website. Tune in next week to hear another great episode of Par for the Course with another great guest and me, Mr. Minigolf. The Par for the Course Podcast is a Mr. Minigolf production. Music was produced by Donald Alford II.